Good morning. Today's reading from the Word of God comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 22. Please follow along in your own Bibles, on the screen behind me, or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 22. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join kids' crew through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to, pro to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. We're so excited to be worshiping with you all today. My name is Molly, and I'm a partner here at Anchor Bay. I've been the local campus minister with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for eight years here on the North Shore. So I work with Endicott College students and Salem State University students, and I'm really blessed that our church has been so supportive of this ministry, and I'm so grateful to partner with Anchor Bay in this work. And I am Mike. And my wife, Stephanie, and I have been working with a uh, partner organization called The Navigators uh, here and overseas for a very long time. So. Mm -hmm. And as Bryn mentioned, during the season of Lent, we're hearing from different outreach and justice ministries to get a framework for why these ministries matter to the heart of God. So today, we have the joy of sharing about college ministry and we'll give you a biblical framework for why it's important to invest in young adults and why we're so personally, personally passionate about this population. So before we dive in, as is our custom at Anchor Bay, we're just going to take a moment of silence and quiet our hearts to prepare to hear from the Lord. Amen. Um, after 
COVID restrictions were lessened, Stephanie and I were out to dinner with a, a friend she had made online during that time. And it was uh, a mother and a father who were dropping their son off at Gordon. And the, the student was there, you know, college kid, free food. You can figure that out. Mm -hmm. uh, and as we left for the evening, I, I said to him, I go, you know, I, I've been talking to college students my whole life. Uh, could I come out to Gordon and just catch up with you in a couple of weeks and see how it's going? And he kind of looked at me sideways and he went, yeah. <laughs> and so a couple of weeks later, I show up and, and we get together and, and uh, he talks for an hour and I listen. And we were done. I said, uh, would you like to do this again? And kind of goes, yeah, okay. So a few weeks later, I show up. And that whole first year, periodically, I'd show up, and, and we'd, sometimes we'd talk about the Bible. Sometimes we'd talk about his athletics. He was on the crew team. And just talk about life. Year two, I said, you know, why don't we start doing this weekly? And we'll just go through, let's say, the Gospel of Luke and, and just look at Jesus. And he goes, yeah, okay. And so that year, we just walked through the Gospel of, of Luke together, and it was great fun. And you know, one of my com his comments was, I didn't know Jesus did that or said that. <laughs> you know, he'd been raised in the church his whole life. But um, year three, something changed. And, and I just asked him, I go, what happened? He goes, I don't know. And he started taking notes, and he's reading the Bible on his own, and he's taking this really seriously. And then he goes on one of uh, summer program trips that the Navigators sponsor around the world. He went to Croatia working with Roma, and he came back transformed. And Molly's going to talk about a program that she has uh, called Serve Up. And I'm, I love these things. They change lives. Well, last fall was Dean's last uh, semester at Gordon, and he started meeting with a younger student and, and mentoring him, and they started reading the Bible together. Where did he get the crazy idea to do that? <laughs> Oh, that's right. I'm yeah. supposed to talk some more, aren't I? A little bit more. Yeah. I get to talk forever. It's not my I love turn this. yet, Mike. Oh, my. Um, <laughs> there are logical reasons to work with university students. When people go away from home for the first time, be it university, military, whatever, they get to reinvent themselves. They're open to new ideas, like the gospel, and they're challenging old ideas to see if they hold up. Now, for you Christian parents, um, your kids are going to test their faith. They need to. It gets messy. It's going to scare you to death. I know because I used to get the phone calls. But it's essential that they put their faith to the test so they know it's their own. Um, why concentrate on students? I mean, why do we concentrate on students? Shouldn't they just come to church? Some do. Thank you very much. Most don't even know we're here and don't care. If they were to draw a map of the known universe, it ends at the edge of campus. <laughs> and somebody has got to go to them. And that's us. But why do this for a living? I mean, can it just be done volunteer? And the answer is yes. But just logistically, there is a place for some people to do this professionally. But there is even more opportunity for people to do it as volunteers. So, 
Go. Okay. So imagine yourself as a Salem State student navigating the complexities of college life with all the anxieties and relationship struggles, questions of identity. You attended church sporadically growing up, but God wasn't a huge part of your life. Then, during your college years, something changes. On your way to the library to study, you stumble upon this group of students playing frisbee and eating pizza on the quad. They invite you to come play and hang out with them, and so you decide to go and do that, and you're surprised by how much fun you have. You learn that the group is centered on Jesus when they ask you to attend a Bible study. And despite some hesitation, you join them for Bible study and keep coming back week after week because something inside of you is hungering for more. As a campus minister with InterVarsity, I have the privilege to work with a lot of students like that one I mentioned in the story. And her name is Rachel, by the way. She's graduated and is doing great. Um, and our mission is to really foster spaces where students can grow in their love for God and for others. This semester, our weekly Bible studies and large group meetings have focused on the Gospel of John, and I've just been amazed to see how much our community has grown this year. And this really is a testament to God's goodness, but also students' hunger for spiritual growth and connection. And we are able to reach different pockets of campus through different events and outreaches we have. Um, and we offer spiritual formation through retreats and backpacking trips in the White Mountains. And as Mike alluded to, my favorite program that we offer is called Serve Up. So this March, around 30 students from Salem State and Endicott and many other schools all over New England will travel to New Orleans during their spring break to serve. And we'll spend our days reconstructing homes in the Lower Ninth Ward, which is a community that has been devastated by Hurricanes Katrina and Ida. And the aftermath of these disasters has brought immense challenges to the Lower Ninth Ward. The residents in the Lower Ninth Ward faced forced displacement and didn't get much attention, while predominantly white neighborhoods received more attention and resources in the recovery effort. So the recovery process is still going on today. I remember vividly when Hurricane Katrina hit, I think I was in high school, and still nearly 20 years later, there's still work to be done in the Lower Ninth Ward. And so um, we'll be able to go and, and make an impact in that space that has experienced disaster. Um, but also in the evenings, in addition to serving and like using the hammers and the drywalling and roofing, which I got to do once, which was really fun. I was on top of a roof, but a kid fell off. But hopefully we won't um, have any of that this year. Um, so in the evenings, though, we um, try to help students connect what they're doing on the work sites, just the service and the justice work we're exploring with the person of with, per, with the person of Jesus and. In the evenings, they'll really get to explore more of who Jesus is and explore their own identities and callings. And we have people from a wide variety of walks of faith. Some students don't identify as Christians. Some are really curious to learn more about Jesus. And some are already Christians, just ready um, to go deeper. So we are praying that over Serve Up, um, students can encounter the goodness of Jesus as they engage in this service and justice work, which is very close to the heart of God. About service projects, um, Stefan and I have had the privilege of living lots of different places, but one of our favorites was Eugene, Oregon, and the churches in Eugene have this sort of traveling uh, housing project for unhoused families, 
And what they do is this group comes in, they've got mattresses and partitions and stuff, and they take over a hall, like next door, for a week. And those families have a place to sleep, safe place, it's warm. And then the local congregation takes care of all the meals for that week. And we were at that time attending a very large church, so we would take two weeks. And different home groups and uh, Sunday schools would take different meals. But navigators had Thursday mornings, and we did it every year. It got so they didn't even have to ask. They just signed us up, navigators Thursday mornings. And I would meet students there about 6 in the morning, and we would uh, prepare breakfast, and then we'd eat with the people, and then we'd clean up. And before we left, I would take a photo, you know, and sometimes I put it in a newsletter, but most of the time I just wanted to know who was there. And as we were headed out to our next assignment a few years later, I was cleaning out, and I came across this folder. And it was a bunch of those photographs. And I was kind of sitting there reminiscing, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was great. And then I noticed something. Every single student who would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and feed somebody else either was or became a student leader, with one exception. And I began to wonder, is there a connection between the kind of person who will serve physically, go roof, go build houses, and someone who is going to serve spiritually? So a passage that is really near to my heart when thinking about campus ministry work and the work of service and justice that we do in New Orleans, and like Mike's example, is Luke 4, 16 to 22, which Susan beautifully read for us um, before. And in this passage, Jesus really shares about his mission and what he's been anointed to do. And I love talking about this passage because it gives us a picture of how to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. So right before the passage that Susan read just a few moments ago, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and he emerges victorious in the power of the Spirit and he goes to his hometown in Nazareth. And he really wants to help those he grew up with understand that he is the one who came to release them from their bondage and their pain, and he, which is especially good news for those who recognize their need before God with humility. So let's take a moment just to slow down and walk with Jesus through this story in Luke. Can I read it again? He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? Thank you. So imagine the scene. Jesus is back in his hometown. He's speaking to familiar faces, people who watched him grow up from an awkward teenager, perhaps, into a skilled carpenter. So to visualize this for yourself, imagine if a kid whose diapers you changed all of a sudden was your mayor or your doctor or someone really prominent. I'm guessing that's how these people felt when Jesus came to his hometown. 
And they've heard about all the amazing things that Jesus had been up to, like his healings and his teachings that were filled with authority. And when they invite him to speak in the synagogue, where Jesus chooses to land is the words of the prophet Isaiah, who shared a message of liberty and hope during Jewish captivity in Babylon. And people in Nazareth could really relate to Isaiah's message. It was a town that was often perceived as on the wrong side of the tracks, and uh, many said nothing good could ever come from Nazareth. And these people were, they were longing to be freed from Rome's political grip. And so when Jesus declares that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, the bringer of release and freedom, I can imagine that they were just filled with so much hope. And because of all this, this moment, this moment where Jesus stands up and proclaims his mission, it's, it's huge. And, and it has the ability not only to pierce the hearts of the people he was speaking to back then, but to college students and to us as well. So we're just going to take a few minutes to consider what we learn about Jesus' identity and mission in this passage and what his invitation is for each of us today. So first we see that Jesus' identity and mission focuses on release, and that that release is not only spiritual, but also physical. In verse 18, he repeats a strong verb twice, which emphasizes this idea of being set free or being released. Those who've been in prison have been released, and people are released from their oppression. In the next verse, Jesus refers to the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, um, where Israelite slaves were released along with their debts every 50 years. And as I said, his listeners, they would have been excited because they wanted to be set free as well. They understood what it felt like to be on the margins of society, and they just longed to be freed from their oppression. And they knew that Jesus had performed miracles before. They knew he had power to heal And this passage just speaks to this physical release um, that they were longing for, something that Jesus cares about and wants us to care about as well. And I found working in campus ministry that a powerful way to reach students is to present them with opportunities that they care about. And over the years, I've worked with students who are passionate about a wide variety of social justice issues. And this generation of students really sees the beauty in this world, and they want to be a part of redeeming places overcome by darkness and suffering. So each semester, just a couple things we do. We partner with My Brother's Table in Lynn, which is a local soup kitchen to package meals for people facing food insecurity. And this project draws students who are eager to meet meet those tangible needs of people in their community. And as I mentioned earlier, Serve Up is a great way um, for students to really be a part of something that they are excited about and really care about. And We don't offer these opportunities just because they're priorities of students in this generation, but because, as we've said, they're really close to the heart of God. And just advocating for justice in our local communities and places like New Orleans, it resonates with Jesus' call in this passage, really, to address the needs of people on the margins. And we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, each one of us, as we advocate that all people, regardless of background, race, sexuality, socioeconomic status, that we all should experience the fullness of life. One of the things that attracted Stephanie and I to this fellowship was this kind of a commitment. And uh, for example, Open Door Immigration Service, which is through that door, across the hall, and the door at the other end. Um, Otis, for short. 
When we were living in Bratislava, Slovakia, that was our assignment right before we moved here, uh, we had difficulty getting resident visas. And uh, I was complaining one day, actually whining, I was whining. <laughs> and this Slovak lady was kind of sitting there on the side, and she, after I was done, she goes, yeah, try to immigrate to the United States. The people who come to this wonderful country of ours, they come because it is wonderful, face a labyrinth of paperwork and government restrictions, often in a country they don't know the language very well. And Otis is there to walk through, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I'm struggling here, to walk through that with them. Um, now, the, back to our passage, now, the people listening to Jesus probably thought in terms of something very concrete, very, you know, freedom from Roman oppression, mm -hmm. a better life now. Now, in the churches that I've been attending for 50 years, we typically interpret this as spiritual oppression, spiritual freedom, because nobody was oppressing us. But historically in this country, these kinds of passages spoke hope to the enslaved, to the oppressed, to the marginalized, to the immigrant, to the asylum seeker. The um, brothers and sisters from these communities have always known it's both. Jesus comes to release us from our physical chains. I, I think some of us, I, I agree and all of us from our brokenness. It is available to all. So I'm gonna speak a little bit more to that, um, that spiritual release. Um, in working on campus, I interact with students so often that are really longing to be released from just pains and struggles that are truly spiritual, and, and I'm sure all of us can relate in the room as well. Maybe we're held captive to our image and what people think about us. Maybe we're enslaved to our anxieties and worries about our careers or our families or our futures. And maybe we need release from addictions or unhealthy relationships. And as Jesus reveals this message of release in his passage, he wants his audience to see the type of people who will receive and respond to that. And the second point we wanted to make just briefly about this passage is that it is the poor who receive the good news of release that Jesus is bringing. And the poor could include those of low social class or people who are outsiders, but poverty doesn't need to refer only to a lack of money. Even tax collectors who were very wealthy during Jesus' day fit the bill as ones who were poor. And Luke goes on in the rest of his gospel to give us story after story um, showing what good news to the poor and outsider looks like cleansing a leper and healing a paralytic, calling a tax collector to follow him, and granting forgiveness to a woman who was a known prostitute. But we know from scripture that Jesus offers this release to all people, but Luke's gospel is showing us that it's good news for people who are poor in spirit, who have an awareness of their need before God. And for me, it's amazing to work with students who recognize that and have a longing to really fill what feels missing in their lives. 
And take the example of Rachel that I mentioned earlier. She kept coming back week after week to InterVarsity, and somewhere, somewhere along the way, she made the decision to place her hope in Jesus for life. And I, a powerful, something that she powerfully said once was, students often struggle with self-acceptance and feeling loved, and I was no exception. And having a community like InterVarsity on campus set me free from those struggles. This ministry reminded me that I'm not broken. I was created for a purpose, and I could be loved by God. And it showed me that I'm not alone and that there's strength in the world, a strength that comes from God. I'm incredibly grateful for this knowledge, and I believe I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I wasn't led to Jesus. So what do we do now? How does Anchor Bay participate in this kind of work? Well, first, you know, just recognize that students are people. You know, uh, a smiling face, a handshake. Uh, I've never known one to turn down a free lunch. Um, second, maybe we start a, a periodic prayer group. Uh, there was a time in our ministry, in Eugene even, when it was going so badly, and I was so discouraged, I wanted to quit. And Stephanie and I were out on a walk, and she goes, why, why don't you, you know, what, what would God do if you were to pray for an hour? And I was so desperate. I did. And everything changed. It all turned around. So maybe for us, and this won't take an hour, we could pray, Lord, lead me to a student. What might God do? Third, um, there's opportunities to host international students. One of the greatest witnesses you and I have is just to let people into our home and see who we are. If Jesus is there, they'll notice. And um, side note, that also works in your neighborhood. I know that's not very New England she, but break the mold, you know. Uh, most students don't have cars. If you have a car, you're an asset. We can use you. Stephanie and I have been giving students rides since we had ox carts. <laughs> and they're almost always grateful. Almost. The possibilities for us really are endless. I don't know what they all are. But I am pretty sure God has some ideas. So Mike just shared some amazing examples of how you could get involved with student ministry. Um, but I also just wanted to name that there are so many other ways to live out what we learn from this passage. And it could be as simple as shoveling a neighbor's driveway after a snowfall or bringing a meal to someone in need or, or devoting time to sit with someone over coffee or a meal who's struggling. And maybe your calling would be to get more involved with things at a systemic level. We'll hear from many other people in the weeks to follow about ways that um, you could live out this passage, Jesus' invitation to um, really meet the physical and the spiritual needs of others, whether that's choosing one area to invest in, like addressing poverty or racial justice or advocating for other marginalized communities. Um, and so another anointing on my life besides student ministry is advocating for the safety and well-being of children who are in the foster care system. And when considering building our family, my husband and I felt this special calling and anointing and followed our hearts by adopting our three kids through the foster care system. 
And we just long for every child to have a safe and loving environment where they can experience stability and care. And it's so cool to see other families in this church who are on that journey as well. And so our children can be a part of this community where um, they learn what it means to experience that spiritual freedom in Jesus. So we wanted to leave you with a question to reflect on. What is your anointing? How is Jesus calling you specifically to care for the physical and the spiritual needs of those around you? At Anchor Bay, we describe it as being with Jesus and being sent by Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are, for being a God who cares so much about each and every person in this world, no matter what our background is, what our struggle is. And thank you for wanting to set us free, both from the physical chains that we're struggling with and just spiritually, um, the ways that we just need to be set free in our longing um, to experience your peace and your joy. So I just pray that each one of us, as we go about our weeks, that we would just keep this passage in mind, God, um, just looking for ways to really serve um, the physical needs of those around us, but also to point people to you um, as you are the one that can fill our spiritual longing. Um, so thank you for this time, Lord Jesus. We love you, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. So as the band um, does some more worship, we just want you guys to know that there are um, people from the prayer team in the back. If you need prayer and for any reason, um, just feel free to go um, in the back to talk with our prayer team during worship. Um, yeah, so thank you.